Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to episode 78 of The Storytellers. Today, we're talking to Anna Quinn on story craft, and authentic voices. Anna Quinn is the author of The Night Child, which is listed as a number one best psychological fiction on Goodreads and on Ingram's best book club book list. Her second novel, Angeline, is just coming out. And I have to tell you, I finished it last night, so I couldn't be more excited to talk to Anna. She's been also the founder of the Writers' Workshop out in Seattle, in the Seattle, Washington area. And I'm so excited to have her join me today at the Storyteller's Microphone. Anna, welcome. Well, thank you. It's really wonderful to be here. I love, I love your podcasts. I learn a lot from them. Well, thank you. I, I learn a lot from them as well. So I wanted to start actually with the entire idea of craft, because, you know, I've written four books myself. I, I blatantly say to everybody, I have not studied craft, yet you've been teaching it, writing for over 30 years. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, the teaching of craft? You know, well, it's the entire writer's workshop. Yeah. Well, the, the writers, I was a teacher, a public school teacher for decades. And so I, it was elementary school, middle school, high school. So it was all the different, all the subjects. But I was fortunate with middle school and high school to be the language arts teacher. And um, so I, I got to do what I loved most is to teach writing and teach literature. And, um, and then when I decided uh, to move on and uh, start to open a bookstore. Well, we took over a bookstore and start the writer's workshop. Um, then it was teaching adults. And I, I really believe that you can teach writing and everybody can learn because people that come to the workshops really want to write and they want to get stronger in their writing. And of course, we all can. We can all learn so much from each other. Is there a secret to good writing? I think, you know, for me, I, I really think at the core is that you deeply, deeply love it. I, I am so in love with writing and I, I have been for decades and it, it, it fascinates me. And um, I, love, I love every part of the process. I think that's the part I love the most is the process. I love going into my imagination. I love language. I love making sense of the story that's coming through me and trying to get it on the page in a way that feels authentic and is in service to the story in service to the characters. So I think, I think, you know, when you can be really true to yourself and you love, you truly love your story or you're at least absorbed by it, it's going to come out on the page and people, readers are going to feel that. So with you, you've written since you were young, then you taught, then you opened a bookstore, or you took over a bookstore, you've mm -hmm. really done all aspects of it. But mm -hmm. it wasn't until 2018 that you wrote your first novel. Is that right? That is correct. Yes, it took a while to press end. So you know. what was that process right? like? You, you've taught it, you've helped other people write, and then there it was 2018. It was time mm -hmm. to hit 
press send, as you say. Yes. Well, with the night child, um, I had been working on that while I was teaching middle school and high school and as a memoir. And I wrote it uh, just for myself, really, as a process, a, a cathartic process, just to find a way to um, come to terms with what happened in my childhood and make sense try to bring some meaning to that for myself. And um, I got to a place, well, I decided if I haven't uh, finished this by the time I'm 50, then I'm going to take a sabbatical and work full-time on writing. So I I turned 50 and I had not finished the story. So that's when I took a sabbatical. um, We moved up to Port Townsend and I began writing full-time and until I opened the bookstore. But there came a point in writing the memoir where I felt like I needed something more from the story. I needed to look at it differently. And I began to experiment with different forms because I know that form can bring up such different content. Poetry can bring up a different part of the story. Essay can bring up different parts of the story. So I experimented with each of those and um, each offered me something. But it was when I moved into fiction that the whole story opened up and I felt that the flow was there. The story came out. I discovered that piece of my mind that had been shut down and it opened up. So after that, then the story, The Night Child happened all within, from that point as a novel, only took about a year. And then at that point, I had went through writing groups, had editors, went, you know, got an agent, publisher, you know, and the rest just kind of kept moving. You, you make that part of it sound easy. Oh, it only took me. It is time. not. <laughs> I know it's not. That's why I wanted to go back to it. You know, oh, I wrote it in a year. I got an agent. And- that part, but there were the 10 years before it. it and it's, years you know, it's a that. very dark, Night Child is, has a very challenging dark moments, scary moments. And that's part of the reason that it took a while because you do want to pace yourself and be gentle with yourself while you're exploring those areas. But um, that part was very, very challenging. And the the publishing process is extremely challenging. So no, it's a, you have to have a, a, a lot of patience and persistence. I couldn't agree with you more. Talk a little bit about uh, landing an agent, because that's a big dialogue these days about agented, not agented work. But I still think it's most authors' fantasy, at least, to get an agent. So could you talk about your road to getting an agent? Yes, I very much wanted to go the traditional route and have an agent, because being a bookstore owner, especially and running workshops, I saw both sides of the equation, you know, with Um, the difference between self-publishing and having an agent and a team. And I knew energetically I needed a team. So I decided I would try for an agent. And um, that part, for at least uh, nine months, I put, I treated as a a job when I wasn't at the bookstore. I, I had spreadsheets. I researched agents. I, um, I used Mm agentquery.com and I looked for agents that read literature 
similar to mine that I that stories that I loved. I looked for the agents that that also loved those kind of stories because I knew my audience would be not necessarily a wide commercial mass market audience. But um, and then I started, you know, I worked really hard on my query letter and um, and then I started I, I made a commitment to myself that every Friday I would send out 10 query letters. And um, if after sending out 30, I didn't get a hit, I would revise my query letter. I did what Amy Tan, I think it was Amy Tan who said, if after 250, <laughs> then revise your novel. <laughs> um, but I was fortunate uh, within, um, it was about three months where I had a, an agent. I had several, I had three agents ask for full manuscripts. And so I worked through the process with them and um, eventually chose the agent that felt like a really good fit for me. Thank you for that detail because I think that the discipline you showed is really part of that secret. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not sending out 150 letters and just waiting to see what comes back. Mm -hmm. It is the discipline of every Friday you're going to do this, you're going to revise, you're going to target. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Now I want to jump right in because you also said something that piqued my interest about not necessarily mass market with Nightchild, which I can't mm -hmm. wait to get back to, by the way. Mm -hmm. But last yeah. night I finished Angeline. And I'm absolutely delighted with it. So tell our listeners first about the story in general. And then I've got lots of things I want to talk with you about. <laughs> okay. Well, the story is about a young woman who survives a tragedy, a, a car accident that kills her um, entire family. And she joins a cloistered convent and she's living in Chicago and she decides at that point to devote her entire life to praying for the suffering of others. And um, there comes a point after six years where the archdiocese runs out of money to keep the convent open. And she is sent to a very radical convent in the Pacific Northwest on an island. And um, this is where she has to face her past and come to terms really with her own self-limiting, kind of rather diminishing thoughts. So that's kind of the, the first layer of it. And then underneath, it's, it's a really about um, finding beauty in the broken places and belonging and why we believe what we believe. It's about the willingness to let go of what no longer serves us. It's about a community woven by women and women breaking free and living lives, um, fully realized lives of their own that aren't lives that aren't transcribed by men. So, where does that wisdom come from? <laughs> because it's it's such a delight to read your book. You know, I I grew up. Roman Catholic. I I visited nuns who lived not cloistered, but semi-cloistered. Um, so I was right there with you. And then there's this transformation that happens. So where does that inner wisdom come from for you? Do you learn that through the writing? Well, you know, I, I 
really tried to get to know Angeline. And she came to, I grew up, I, I should say I grew up Catholic and I spent a, a great deal of time with nuns and I was very fortunate to have been surrounded by fairly, really extraordinary nuns. I didn't have any of, I mean, there were some that, you know, were challenging, but for the most part, our, our home was very close to a convent. And I was, I, as a child, the nuns were very comforting to me. I think they knew that our home was um, challenging. And I, I, then I got to spend some time quite a bit of time in their, the convent library with them. And that's where uh, I was, besides my mother, I was very much introduced to literature. And so as they were a comfort to me. And then as a teen, I found them to be fabulously rebellious. And oddly, I was, I was very taken with their lifestyle. And um, I spent, I did a, a very small discernment as a 17 year old in a convent, just to see if this, I considered, you know, perhaps it would be something I'd wanna do. But at that point, um, I, I could not assimilate the misogyny I was learning about in the church. I just, I could not, I could not reconcile it. And then, um, so, you know, as an adult, I did go on to teach a little bit in the Catholic schools. I was a principal in a Catholic school. It was almost like a relationship when you have a toxic relationship or a, I don't want to say or an unhealthy one. You keep going back because there's some very beautiful aspects of it. There's so many parts of the Catholic religion, as you, you could see through Angeline, that I, I really loved. And then there's parts I loathed. And so I think out of processing all that throughout my life, that's what I hope came through in Angeline. It's just her struggle with that. Oh, I think it does. And I think that gets back to that earlier question that I asked about where does this kind of wisdom come from? There were certain lines in the book that I loved. You described one of the nuns as the glorious Steinem of nuns. <laughs> and I just, I laughed out loud because I think that for those people who, even if you grew up within the Catholic church, and I, I spent lots of time with nuns as well, even though they were very obedient to not only their mother superior, but to the bishop and to the parish priest, if they happened to be parish bound nuns, they had this um, theology of liberation, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, they were in so many ways, the forerunners of the women's libs moment, which I always found is such a dichotomy. They, they were living in this structured, humble way, yet they were also the women who were lifting up women's voices in unique ways. And I thought that you really captured that well. And I was, I was grateful that you did. Um, in your book, you go back to that narrow market. There was a point in reading it where I wondered if your audience was going to be too narrow, that, you know, unless you um, grew up in the Catholic Church or knew about nuns, um, mm -hmm. you might not um, resonate with this book. But I don't think that's at all true. But is that something that you worried about at all? Um, I try. I really challenge myself to not think about the market while I'm writing. 
I think it's a, a very slippery, dangerous slope, and I think it can block your creativity. So I tr- I don't, I just try to stay very true to the story that's coming through me, and I really trust there will, it may, may resonate with wh- whoever it resonates with, that's who it resonates with, and I really teach myself to be okay with that. I think because there are larger threads in this, I think the the themes of um, survivor's guilt, the themes of um, what how our identity is shaped through, especially with grief and loss. I mean, really, that's such a big theme in Angelina's. How does she deal with this loss of her family? And how does she move forward? And I don't want to, it's hard to talk about a book people haven't read because you, you spoil it, but there's a reason she has such guilt about losing her family. So it's, it's very much about that. And many, many of us have gone through loss, clearly, and um, are grieving beloved family and friends. So it's what she, it's how she decides to navigate that. And in the beginning, she really kind of sentences herself to that cloister that it yeah. feels like even as a writing it and even as a reader, I would feel like she sentenced herself to prison. The thing that was interesting to me, though, in writing it and trying to get out of her way is that she needed to do that. So it wasn't for me as the writer to say what I hoped she would she would forgive herself. I hope she would open up. But I had to still stay with her and she needed to do it the way that she was doing it. I I love that you talk about the story coming through you. There's also, I can't remember if it was in a review or maybe within the book itself, that where you really talk about how it's both harrowing and healing. And I liked that juxtaposition of how we can be so broken and yet we find this way to heal. Um, One of the things, uh, you know, in my own book, The Eves, I talk about is this whole idea of constantly being reinvented. And Mm -hmm. that's such a theme in your book, this reinventing of ourselves. And sometimes that's thrust upon us. Angeline certainly doesn't want to wind up in this other convent. But talk a little bit about that as a theme. Uh, That her moving beyond where she her constriction well, I think everybody everybody evolves in the story which is one of the delightful mm-hmm. things that one of the one of the pieces i love is your epilogue i i i thought your epilogue was brilliantly written so we do know where um different characters that we may have lost touch with at certain points in the book wind up so mm-hmm. um i get a sense that transformation and reinvention was very important to you in this book is that right I was hoping that that would happen for Angeline, you know, as I, the more I got to know who she was, it was, you know, I'm not sure where she would be without sister Josephine in the very beginning, because sister Josephine over time, the six years that she was with Angeline in the cloister clearly picked up on the fact that this wasn't a healthy place for Angeline. She, she knew that she wasn't in there for the right reasons, really. 
because, you know, to become a nun, you go through the very intense psychoanalysis and, and questioning and people, you want to be in there for the right reason. And I think for that reason, and also that Sister Josephine loved Angeline and wanted her to heal and knew a little bit about her background. She knew to send her to this new place and required of her to take this leap of, pay, leap of faith into a place that she might never have chosen on her own. And so I learned from that is sometimes we don't ask for help. We don't even know that we need to ask for help. And so that's where the people around us are so critical in helping nudge us or work with us so that we might try a different way to understand our grief. Well, your story is, you know, if I had to write one word, it would just be so compelling. It was such a compelling story. And I, I just am so grateful that you came across my radar. Um, the book is out in February 2023. What's next for you? <laughs> well, I'm working on the third novel. And I will be working on that this month because of the release. But um, I'm very excited about it. It's, it's different. It's historical fiction. And um, but the themes, I think I will always be visiting the themes or exploring the themes of identity and uh, and nature as a place of transformation, nature as sanctuary. So um, I'm, I'm, I love writing it. It's very different to write. It takes place in the 1540s. Very different to write in another time period because there's so, so much research involved. And um, but I love that. So. Anna, I would love to talk to you for the rest of the day. When the new book comes out, please contact me. I'd love to talk to you again. Everyone, I highly encourage you to find The Night Child, which I've just begun, and Angeline, which I finished last night. Anna, thank you for being on The Storytellers today. Oh, thank you so much. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon. <laughs>